0: Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Callan J. Mulligan. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2 ACR in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling to help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungara people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands. The treaty has never been made in Australia. Callan J. Mulligan is a writer of science fiction and thrillers. Today he is joining me with his latest novel, Astrius. Astrius takes us on board the eponymous world settler starship, Thousands of people are travelling on a one-way trip to the Milky Way. They're extending the galaxy, exploring new territory. But when an engineer is murdered on the Astrias, the ship finds itself at a turning point. Join me in conversation with Callan J. Mulligan as we discover Astrias. Callan, welcome. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. It is, um, look, it is really great to have you, and it's probably also worth noting, and regular listeners will know this, that we don't talk a lot of science fiction on Final Draft. Now, that's not, not for any good reason, <laughs> and um, it's probably something worth, you know, kind of starting off with, because in Australia, I think a lot of our science fiction we consume comes from all around the world. Tell me about your journey into science fiction and what you love about this genre.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, from as, uh, as young as I can remember science fiction and, and fantasy especially has been huge for me. My father was a very big science fiction fan, you know, Isaac Asimov, all, all the great South C. Clark. Um, and I've always been a writer. Science fiction wasn't exactly the first genre that I dabbled with. Um, I have a novella, which is a psychological thriller and, and a few short stories over the years, but, um, it seems to be what really found my heart probably because I have a love for astronomy and, and cosmology. And, um, so it just sort of all fell together.
0: And I mean, I could, th- those names you mentioned, like I can see some of the influences as they're, uh, as they're winding into Astrius. I don't want to. I don't want to make too many presumptions. Can you mm-hmm. set the scene though for us a little bit? Take us to the Astrius.
1: Sure. So, a uh, giant, giant world settling starship uh, could hold a, a million souls. In this particular story, there's a hundred thousand. Uh, a colony on their way to the center of the Milky Way to settle new worlds um, going so far deep into space that, that nobody's ever gone before. Um, and so they're very much on their own, uh, w- without, you know, he- uh, without a rescue being a possibility. And, uh, the thriller side of the novel, I suppose, is that, you know, murder happens on board and, uh, and sabotage happens on board and, and they're on their own and they sort of have to figure out how to navigate that as a, as a new, a new, uh, society.
0: So we're hitting we're hitting a few points here in terms of the tension and where the narrative is is going to take us. But before we get there, I wanna think a little bit about this the eponymous, the world settler Starship, the Astrius, And you've said it can hold a million people. So this is something mm. enormous as you craft this world, as you craft the inhabitants of this world, how are you thinking about the science? Like, do you want to stay within some sort of realm of possibility or are you just like, no, let the mind roam free?
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely. I actually have a, a problem uh, sticking to hard science fiction because I do have a very uh, imaginative, fantastical mind. But um, I did try and stick to, to as much hard science as I possibly could. Uh, writing sci-fi is very difficult in that sense. Uh, luckily, I do have... Uh, fondness for astronomy and cosmology. So I, you know, I have the basic understandings of gravity and, um, and, and how space works and space travel works. Um, so I definitely hit a lot of those notes in the book. You know, I explain how the artificial gravity works. I explain uh, how they can move at the speeds they're moving and and things like, and that's all within the realm of, of physics. Um, but certainly the size and scope is, is something that would be uh, impossible for us to do, At this point in time so it's it's very very far off into the future
0: so even as you're thinking then about a science that that maybe maybe has some um, basis in physics maybe has uh, a little bit of future possibility even if it's far flung does that Mm. then start to impose things on your narrative like are there things that you think well i can't go there because it will break some of my rules or or this rule actually might mean this thing is going to happen
1: yeah, definitely. It's, um, I think that's the beauty of writing though, right? Is, is limitations, uh, are really required for you to have any form of, uh, a realistic, cohesive narrative anyway. So, you know, most people start with your limitation of word counts or, or whatever it may be, but, um, That's, yeah, the hard science definitely brought in a lot of limitations into the story. Uh, There were certainly things that I I couldn't do. Uh, I even got sort of a third of the way through the manuscript before I realized um, that I had completely miscalculated the blueprints of the ship. And it was was starting to contradict a lot of the narrative. So I had to go back and rewrite the structure of the ship at one point. Um, And I I didn't even consider things like that uh, as a possibility. So it was a learning experience, to say the least, yeah. To, like I don't want you to I don't want you to give us
0: a breakdown of schematics of the ship, mm. but it is a pretty fascinating thing. There was one thing that really jumped out at me that you you kind of mention, and it's maybe it maybe almost fits the the realm of a trope that we see in science fiction. You describe kind of the lettering on the outside of yeah. the ship, and uh, you, you can imagine everyone can see that scene as the, I'm 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 doing this on video. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> radio calendars, radio why am i acting this out but yeah and as it flies by and the, the lettering is there I'm like who is that for how do you when you when you're sort of thinking that and when you, or if you're watching it in any other science fiction who is that mm. for is that for the people on earth before or wherever not on earth in this in this sense but <laughs> is that for the people as the ship is taking off or are we thinking maybe we will meet some inhabitants who are going to be decoding this
1: mm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I have thought about, uh, you know, extraterrestrial alien sort of civilizations, things like that. I think, uh, the lettering itself in my, in my head or in my view would be no different to how we do it on a, I suppose, a Navy vessel or any ship on earth. It's, um, probably not something that's necessarily needed, uh, even for docking, but just something that's, uh, almost, I suppose, what, patriotic, uh, for lack of a better word of the ship itself and the crew. Um, but yeah, certainly a very, a very, um, important visual scene. Uh, definitely. I remember that. I remember writing that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not, this isn't, this isn't like someone's going to mistake. Oh, you're a You're not the other largest starship (laughs) that's ever been built. Yeah. Now we, we get to the narrative because of course a, a giant starship is, is not a story. And mm. we're about a month, just over just over a month into the voyage and an engineer is murdered on the Astraus, and the ship yes. finds itself at a turning point. Mm. I want to talk about the ways that we code sci-fi in popular culture. From the space opera of Star Wars, the absurdism of Red Dwarf, to the horror mm. of, of Alien and the Alien films, mm-hmm. science fiction is actually, it kind of offers this broad palette onto which you can paint or you can paint with. Did you want to blend genres? Were you consciously thinking that you your readers might be getting on board with other ideas as you as you crafted the story?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost, I just wanted to tell a story from a cosmic perspective and talk about the human condition and and a lot of deeper uh, things, um, almost as a philosophical framework. That was the the starting point, but. Uh, a murder mystery on a starship was the idea. So mm-hmm. there was certainly, it, it was, I never, I leaned into science fiction because it, you know, happened to be set in space and, and, and I love sci-fi, but um, I always went into it uh, thinking of you know a murder mystery in space instead of a murder mystery on a train or on a boat, or it was uh, sort of my my version of that. Um, and it just sort of, I suppose, I'm not uh, I'm not a pantser so to speak or a plotter necessarily, but I do have a rough structure that I outline before I write. And the characters certainly took it into an entirely different direction uh, from just the murder mystery. So
0: very cool, very cool. I mean, I can see from. Where the story goes, that there is, uh, I guess, a meta arc that you have in mind. More on that later. Mm. You drive the story forward through multiple perspectives, and and as we start Astraus, uh, sorry, we we mm. talked about, yeah, both ways, both ways, As you start Astraus, you orient us by jumping through povs of this ensemble cast of characters that you've created. Mm. Did, did you find that this was something that was important? Like, you're dealing with something that we don't know. We, we don't have, uh, uh, other than through popular culture, a way to conceive of this enormous mm. starship. Was it important that we see it through different eyes and that you can develop the world alongside your plot through these different characters?
1: Definitely. Definitely a huge, uh, I was a bit worried about multiple POVs because it can be very difficult, uh, to, to write or, or to to at least have the story be cohesive to a reader. Um, but yeah, very, very important part of it because we have, you know, we have an engineer, we have, uh, more or less a stowaway or a visitor. We have, um, you know, four four main characters anyway, and they're all from different sort of worlds and different parts of the ship, and so they can describe it in these different ways. If I was limited to, to one sort of protagonist, um, it all would have been through their view, and it would have seemed a lot uh, more limiting than... than than would have otherwise been possible. So I I think multiple POV was always very important. I also wanted to tell the story of the colony. And I feel like having a a societal story has to come from multiple points of view, right? Otherwise it's, um, it's all within the mind of of one person. Um, So you can't really describe those things efficiently. So is that, yeah.
0: is that something you find when you're enjoying a narrative? And, like, I mean, we can stay with. I like the idea that we're dealing with something fantastic because, of course, you find yourself trying to comprehend, and sometimes you, you will want to. You want to map yourself onto a particular character because that, that gives you an in. Is that, a, mm. is that also a strength of an ensemble cast of characters?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I think a huge strength, just from a reader's perspective, is that you might be bored of of one particular character's story, or you might not really relate to a like a character very much. Um, so having four characters is a really diverse uh, way to go about it. I've always loved, uh, you know. TV series like Battlestar Galactica where it's covering, you know, multiple characters and all, all different stories happening and they're all cohesive in, in the larger arc. But uh, individually there's, there's things you enjoy and things you don't enjoy. And, and so I've, mm. I've really found, you know, that I have a couple of characters that I like myself, but then I found that lots of readers didn't like the characters that I like and they like the other characters that I don't like so much. Um, so that's, I've really had some positive feedback in that sense that I, I did go about it uh, well, thank God.
0: Terrific. And into this, you've already talked about how you really wanted to explore that human dynamic in uh, this this fantastical sort of off-world future space. And I couldn't mm. help but notice that while the Astrius and, and the world that is left are light years, and pardon the pun from our mm. own,
1: mm-hmm. they're
0: still plagued by divisions. And I kind of I, I pulled out that wealth and class seem to mm. be one of the really big divisions amongst the inhabitants of the Astrias. Yes. How how did you where where did that come from? How did you want these divisions to be playing
1: out? Um, I think from a from a relatable perspective uh, as a writer and a reader, I think it's uh, you know coming from a a capitalist society and a culture, it's 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 very easy to write those sorts of things anyway. But I did want to really display. um, You know, I have. I sort of have a, not a different species, but a, a nanotechnologically crafted uh, human being, like sort of superhumans are, are almost a, a race um, in the story, in the world. Um, and so even outside of class divides was sort uh, of racial divides as well. And I wanted to just explore all those things because I think it's a very important part of the human condition. It's a very important part of our experience, our lived experience. Um, So it was really cool to take things that are, that are realistic and grounding in our world and place them into a fantastical world because then at least the reader is, I suppose, you know, consumed by all these things that they're aware of and they're, they're used to. And so it's not, it's not all just, um, you know, fantastical and, and, uh, it's, you know, it sort of takes it from being a fantasy and, and really grounds it for the reader. And the reader can feel like these are some, some issues I can relate to, some talking points I can talk about, some things I can discuss. And I have found a few readers come back to me and say that, you know, they liked, um, this, this particular aspect or this particular aspect. And and they've always been those kinds of realistic human struggles. So
0: yeah, and what was also really interesting to me, because as as we've sort of highlighting here, there is this there is this sort of I'm going to call it a class struggle around this, mm. but it, it, a lot of it is very much um, founded in in wealth, and wealth is still a big factor on on board the Australias. But in the setup for the story, you have the 100,000 inhabitants have been vetted, and one thing, and this is a point of tension for one of the characters. One thing mm. is. Uh, or several of the characters actually. One thing is that they need to have or be able to offer some sort of utility to the future settlement. Um, yes, and that is uh, that that could bring involves the skills that they bring, um, and also interestingly their health, and particularly for the, the female um, characters, yeah. the reproductive utility, yeah, yeah, and. So it's really strange. Like, in a way, th- that highlights a big division. Like, it almost, there was, there would have been a whole segment of the society that couldn't, just wouldn't have qualified for the Australis And It yeah. could have been something quite equalizing. It could have been, you know, a little bit of that. Like, they, the characters keep talking about the utopia of the Astraeus, which doesn't quite come into being. Mm. Were, you, were you ever, were you ever tempted to, to kind of play more with the utopia and, have the utopia lost
1: or was it, is, is utopia always something that's in our own heads? I but personally, I think it's all in our own heads, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, Progress for the sake of progress is um, is important, but we will never uh, progress to a point where it, I mean utopia is subjective anyway, right? So, uh, as far as I'm uh, aware, we could never have a society in which every human being is happy unless we had some kind of Orwellian, a horrible society where everyone thinks they're happy. So. Um, I I do want to play with utopian ideas in, in future books. Certainly in this particular story, I think it was, uh, the idea of utopia was more, um, from the character perspective of, you know, a lot of them were running away. They wanted to be in a new world. There's a reason they went through the process to get on board in the first place. Um, whether it be past traumas or, you know, a new life or running from something, whatever it was. So to them the utopia was just a new life. Um, and uh obviously they weren't they weren't aware of how drastically bad it was going to go um yeah. but yeah i mean it feels
0: it, it feels like someone someone should have been putting that on the psych test you know it's it's like that <laughs> old cliche of you know you don't have to be mad to be to get in here but it helps type of yeah. thing like <laughs> yeah. maybe no like why why are these people self selecting um, yeah. in a strange way actually um i guess i was take, taking on that very Popular sense of utopia, but what we see mm. on the Australias very much maps uh, more closely to the original Thomas More Utopia, which was a reasonably militaristic society that was not mm. not perfect, so much as utilitarian in a way that served everyone's ends, and that's kind mm. of the way Austraeus is meant to be working. But of course, it can't happen that yep. way.
1: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think. Uh, even, even uh, descriptively, you know, having it as sort of a garden of Eden, like having this. Um having their environment be just so, uh, I suppose, paradise-like or earth-like or calming and relaxing, um, for, for listeners that obviously don't know the story, it's that there's a giant ring attached to the ship and the ring is the home of the colony. And it's a very much an earth-like world. Um, it has atmosphere and everything. It's, it's very, very large. So, um, and I think even that, uh, you know, even the environmental sense, uh, would, would bring about that kind of utopian view, but it is, it's, it's, you know, it's governed by the authority and the military And it's very, uh, it's run very much like a ship is run. Um, Mm. and so, yeah, it does, it even almost touches on, on Plato's Republic in Mm. small ways. Um, which, uh, you know, is probably a debate for another time, but you know, there's, there's definitely positives and negatives that come out of every, every form of society that people come up with. So.
0: It, it might be a debate for another time, but I'm actually looking at my next question, which kind of hones in a little bit because what I what I noticed is um, that you do feature the politics of the mm. ship and of the world of Australia's quite prominently. One of your mm. one of your main characters is a, a senator. I'm, yes, I'm just thinking I've got the polit- uh, the, yeah. the political titles right. Got that right. You also have a government and there is some tension between government and then the starship command because yes. there is a government for the society but a command for the ship. Yes. What I'm actually really thinking about, though, rather than you know trying to give too much away, is that these sorts of um, political arrangements actually do feature quite prominently in a lot of speculative or future science narratives. Star mm. Wars is a big one that's going to spring to most people's mind. Why, why do you think that is? Like, what is it? about the future that makes us curious about I mean most of the time people don't want to talk politics yeah yeah it's very true Actually, yeah this, but in, this is not the point in Australian history to say that in everyone's yes interested that's true in that's true especially
1: with the election coming up yeah. um yeah no I think uh yeah very very good point sci-fi is very I've never really thought about that it's very very politically driven um whether it's uh yeah Asimov or yeah Lucas for Star Wars um yeah, the Republic the Empire uh rebellions. I think maybe it's because the the stories are just on a such a grand scope. Um, they're on such a large grand scale. They're often entirely invented worlds. Uh, and so politics has an important role to play in that because without it, it, it's hard to, understand the people or the culture or you know what what drives people um i think that's probably why martin was so successful with game of thrones because a lot of fantasy misses the politics Mm -hmm. but he really heavily he uh, dived in on that um and that's uh that's a big part of it as well as well as multiple pov of course so um yeah, I've never really thought about that, but uh, it makes a lot of sense, Grand Spent Stories, to have a lot of politics involved, for sure. It sounds like what you're saying here is
0: the next five weeks in Australia would be a whole lot more interesting if ScoMo and Albo were either riding dragons <laughs> or they each had a lightsaber.
1: Yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. <laughs> well, is- riding dragons with a lightsaber, I say. There you go,
0: but- there you go. There's some, there's some fanfic that we weren't expecting today <laughs> on the show. <laughs> and and this all plays out we've we've you, you've given us a murder we can't talk too much because spoilers but mm. i mean you've given us this plot we're going to be driving forward we've also got these tremors happening on the ship which is kind of like you you feel weird when that's happening in your car and you don't live in your car these people yeah. need to figure this out there's mm. a sense that something grander is afoot um and i just I mean, I like the way that is also that contained. We we went back. We talked a little bit about um, genre and containing something within a space, even if that space can hold a million people. Um, It's. I mean, how do you feel about space? How do you feel about one? You're contained within space. This ship cannot turn around, but then people are also contained within this vessel, as large as it is. It yeah. gets a little bit claustrophobic as soon as you put a murderer in the mix.
1: Yeah, very claustrophobic. Um, I think that's really what drew me to the murder mystery mm. in space and the the tremors. You know, this uh, this these onboard mechanical problems that they need to fix because it's it's every day in every situation on this ship is a life or death situation, just like in space travel today. Um, every single little thing is a life or death situation, and so it's. Uh, I've, you know, I've had readers say it's very anxiety-provoking, or you know, it's 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 more or less suspenseful the entire way through the story. Um, but I, I think yeah, that's really what drew me to it was uh, you know the vacuum of space is. Uh, is a dangerous, uh, dangerous place. It's almost, it's impossible to be rescued from it's, uh, you have to be very reliant on yourself and on the others who are with you, the rest of your colony or your crew or whoever it may be to keep you alive. And, um, so it requires a lot of trust. So sticking a murderer into that mist Mm. is a, um, I suppose, a very, very anxiety provoking thing to have because you've got a lack of trust there and and a worry. And, um, And yeah, so it could cause a large problem. I also try to look at space and and the vacuum of spaces, uh, you know, I call it the black or the void and it's, uh, it's, it's almost a metaphor for mortality for death. It's, um, you know, everything we do within ourselves and with others and the relationships that we have are our life. And, um, and, you know, the, the things outside of that, the things beyond in the great beyond that we don't really understand or know about this vacuum of space beyond the ship is death and it's a fine line between life and death. And um, and so it's those relationships that are important. They keep the line there.
0: You've really got me thinking about how so much is a, a matter of degree and scale because, you know, floating through space, things are going wrong, the mm. world that you live on may be ending Mm-hmm. I mean in on the Astraeus it's just happening quicker than kind of what's happening on earth and yeah um I mean I don't I'm not suggesting for a second that the um the mechanical problems that are plaguing the Astraeus are necessarily a metaphor for climate change but mm. it's inevitable that we, we think about the way you've described there about the way the solution is about coming together. But of course, yeah. one bad actor can really tear that apart. And yeah. there, are, there are some really interesting parallels there. I hope I, did, hope I haven't taken us too far off track, though.
1: No, no, you, I think you're right on the money there as well. Um, certainly, uh, intentional parallels in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the earth is just a giant starship with 7 billion people on it floating through space, you know? So, and there's a thin line between us and the vacuum. Uh, the atmosphere is, is thinner than most people would, would like to know about. So, um, yeah, very, very, you know, very important issues. I think issues that, um, will probably be spoken about in, in pop culture and and culture and literature for a long time yet to come. Hopefully, hopefully not too long. Hopefully we just sort of get our act together, but, um, yeah, I think it's important.
0: And that is one of the powers of literature, because we are able to have these conversations, I guess, by proxy, which can take away some of the immediate um, at the throat kind of conversation that you find in other spaces, whether it be, you know, on social media or in public debate. Mm. Uh, in, In a narrative, you are able to play with ideas and explore them before someone, you know, starts reporting you to, uh, the social media gods or or however that works. (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely. Now literature is, um, I mean, storytelling, right. Mm -hmm. Since, since, since the very beginning of storytelling has always been, uh, probably the most important in, in my view, cultural tool for, uh, for progress and for, for, you know, I mean, people need to think in metaphors because, uh, Everything, uh, everything in life and, and the heavens and space and all these things are, are too grand for the, the, the human mind to comprehend. So stories are really, really important. Mm.
0: Now, I see from your website mm. that a sequel is in the works.
1: Yes, mm. Um Yeah, started writing the first draft, so I'm, I'm uh, about 15, 15 20,000 words in at the moment. So it's uh, still got a long way to go, but I'm hoping for beta readers by September, October and release early next year. Cool. Um yeah. No, I wanna I wanna first drop in there for people. They can go to
0: Kellenj yep. if they wanna find out a little bit more about all your writing. Mm-hmm. Um but when you know, there's a sequel and that I don't want to do any spoilers for the end <clears throat> of Astraeus. But I am curious about What's something that is not a spoiler, it's right there at the beginning of the book, the long-term goal of the Australis and where that's going to go. Because it's it's essentially, it's a colonial endeavour. The inhabitants are on a one-way trip to settle distant land or distant lands. Mm -hmm. Now, we live in a world that continues to deal with a legacy of colonialism. Yeah. Is that something that you are interested in exploring in your writing through the Australis? Yes, very
1: much. Yeah, the, the, in fact, the second book is uh, is very, very much uh, touching on colonialism. Um, it will be seeing, let's say, without too many spoilers, uh, separate cultures uh, coming together, clashing, um, it's, I'd like it to be mostly about our characters taking on a perspective other than the perspective they have, mm. um, and really, really throwing the the reader backwards in their seat in the way that they understand the world that I've built so far. Okay. Um, so yeah. And I, I think that's the, again, like climate change, or like anything else, very, very important thing to, to discuss or to, to write about. Um, so yeah.
0: Fantastic amazing so where where are people going to find Astraeus? uh is is calenj mulligan.com the best place to start or
1: yeah look go to my website calenj mulligan.com it's got uh everything um on there that i've written so far or at least links to them um you can sort of go through my different work and find out what's for you if you're not into science fiction i write other genres um but Astraeus, uh you've got the the links there for it um it's it's mostly available on amazon or through major retail stores online online. Um, we do have, uh, I think a, a few bookstores Australia wide are, are stocking it. But there's one launching in a few weeks called lost forever books in Sydney, which are uh, featuring me as an Australian author, um, in their launch. So uh, you can get it from a few places. You could either Google it or just go to the website, but I do offer, um, sort of a, a free ebook as a thank you. When you sign up to my newsletter as well, stay up to date with my writing and that kind of thing. So
0: absolutely terrific that sounds like a that's a bargain people can't pass that up yeah <laughs> got, dot com, which is coincidentally the name of Callan I am speaking with Callan J Mulligan we are discussing Astreas. Uh it is his latest book it is um, a river of a of a sci-fi adventure with much to think about Callan thank you mm. so much for coming on mm. Final Draft
1: uh, no problem it was a pleasure
0: absolutely that's it for this great conversation with Callan J Mulligan Callan's new book is called Astrias, and it's published independently. Get behind, independent authors. Check it out. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You will find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. Get in touch. I want to know what you're reading. Are you enjoying it? Are you looking forward to Sydney Writers' Festival? What is going on in your reading world right now? And if you subscribe in your podcast app, it means there is a new great conversation. There are bonuses. There's, there's stuff. There's, there's hap- things happening here every week. Get on it. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Until then, happy reading. Bye now.